Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Welcome, everybody, to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. If you do not know what the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance is, check us out on forwardthinkingchiro.com. If you're not in the Facebook group, it is all about the Facebook group, and that is at Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance on Facebook. You can try to get in. Not everybody gets in, um, but there's always a chance for you. But if you do want to know what's up with the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance, we have an Instagram you can follow. Everyone can follow it. It is at FTCA underscore official, FTCA official. And uh, we do have a Twitter, but we never use it because Twitter is just where people go to argue, right? Um, And then we have an events page because we put on events periodically, uh, particularly our annual event. And that is uh, Forward Chiropractic Events on Facebook. And we do have an event coming up. It is called. Forward 2020, the future is now. We're going to be talking about the future of chiropractic from an evidence-informed perspective. It is July 24th through the 26th in San Jose, California at Palmer Chiropractic College West. And I could go into all the great details about this event, and it's going to be a whopper. But all those details are at forwardthinkingchiro.com, and they're going to be on Forward Chiropractic Events Facebook page. But I will let you know, Uh, Some of our speakers, Dr. Scott Haldeman is going to be speaking, and he's the GOAT, so you've got to be there to see that. Dr. Richard Brown from the World Federation of Chiropractic. Dr. Thomas Souza, yet another GOAT. It's just a GOAT. They're all GOATs. It's a GOAT farm. They're all GOATs at this event. Dr. Michael Schneider from the University of Pittsburgh Primary Spine Practitioner Program. Dr. Anna Catalina Triana, she's from the University of California, San Francisco. Uh, She's a medical doctor that uh, teaches motivational interviewing to clinicians. Dr. Katie Pullman, ACA Researcher of the Year. Dr. Jay Greenstein, who's got his finger on the pulse of technology and will be speaking about where technology is taking our practices in the future. Dr. Trevor Shaw is going to bring some kettlebells into the mix for shoulder pain. Dr. Lisa Thompson is going to be talking about assessing the rotational athlete. And there are more and more speakers that we, once we get them confirmed, we will be announcing. Uh, In addition to that, we have the Clinical Jazz Lounge, where we're just going to have a room, a lounge, a lounge of people who are going to be talking about clinical aspects of practice. There's no strings attached. There's no sales. There's no, they're just mentors, experts who really know their stuff, and they're just going to be hanging out. And if you have clinical questions, you can go in there. You guys can work out some problems, work out some example cases, look at rehabilitation from a new light, uh, look at assessments from a different angle. We have SFMA guys in there, DNS people, Motion Palpation Institute folks, all the clinical people that you need to know um, to help you answer any questions you might have. And then we're going to have a practice cafe, uh, a business, practice business, is that business, practice, practice, business cafe. I don't know. We don't know. I don't know what I'm going to name that thing yet, but it's going to be another room that is just a place where people who are experts in marketing and business practice management and insurance issues and uh, patient communication and all these things that we have to talk talk and concern ourselves with and be experts in outside of just clinical practice are going to be in another room just to work things out with you. We have some assessments, um, some questionnaires, uh, some, some ways to figure out where your shortcomings are and what you can work on in the future. So there's a lot of exciting things at that event. I hope to see you there. You can see more at forwardthinkingchiro.com. We are in an early bird phase for tickets. So the tickets are the best that they can be right now. So make sure you get your tickets before it sells out because these events that we do typically are right always on that edge of selling out. Uh, All right. So it would be remiss of me to be talking here by myself into this microphone and not mention our sponsors. Uh, one of our sponsors who has also committed their, themselves to sponsoring that specific event for 2020 is uh, China Gel. <clears throat> and this is how I sort of take China Gel. So China Gel 
they are huge supporters of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. Most of us already love China Gel as it is, but if you have not given China Gel products a try, uh, give them a shot. They support the podcast and the alliance as a whole. My thought process is they support us and they have a good product. And they figure, hey, if we support the FTCA and we have a good product, eventually people will try the product, they will enjoy it, and then they will use it in their practice and sell it to their patients. I think that's a great business model. <laughs> um, and, and it puts the proof to pudding because they are good products and they do support us. So please uh, get some China gel in your hands, get it onto your patients' bodies and put it on your shelf. Uh, there's, there's just no two ways around it. It's an excellent product. And if you are inside the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance Facebook group, um, we often have specials and codes and sales for China Gel products too. So keep a lookout for that. Next sponsor is the T-Tool. <clears throat> and I'm very happy that the T-Tools come on the market. Um, I know that in the world of instrument-assisted soft tissue mobilization, there are many instruments. I know that there are some cheap instruments out there that you can get from a foreign country and and try them out for very little cost and use them and it, they're metal they're not going to fall apart or anything and I, I even get being a, a young student you need to manage costs and all that but when it's time <clears throat> when it's time to upgrade to the SUV when it's time to get the Escalade that's when you go to T-Tool and you check them out at thetool.com uh, I greatly appreciate my T-Tool I never really considered doing instrumented assisted soft tissue work over clothes. It just never was an idea that I really even comprehended because the tools never lend to the idea. But this tool, the T-Tool, uh, is amazing for that, actually. And I, I appreciate it tremendously just for that one aspect alone. Um, but it's like a Swiss Army knife. It's multi-dimensional and has multiple, multiple uses to it. Um, so you definitely get your money's worth when you buy a T-Tool. So check them out at thetool.com. And last but not at all ever considered to be least is our final sponsor to mention on the podcast today, and that is Parker Seminars. Now, you probably missed Parker Vegas, but don't worry, there will be another Parker Vegas in 2021. But there are other opportunities to take part in Parker Seminars and what they deliver, which is some high-quality stuff. And the next event that you don't want to miss is NeuroCon, and that's Friday, July 31st. It's a two-day event, so it goes to August 1st, and uh, it's neuro-based. So what we're talking about here is... If you love the neuro aspect of chiropractic, then you're going to enjoy NeuroCon, a two-day event designed for health practitioners who will learn from and network with worldwide leaders on the disorders of the nervous system. Um, so the sessions here will focus on advanced interdisciplinary scientific and clinical rehab sciences with an aim to improve the health of those suffering from neurological disorders. So if neuro is your world, uh, you cannot miss... NeuroCon, and you can find out more about that event at parkerseminars.com backslash NeuroCon, all one word, NeuroCon. Um, and that's it for the commercials. Thank you for sticking in there because now it's time for a great interview with our next guest. <clears throat> our guest is the vice president of Motion Palpation Institute, as well as an instructor for Motion Palpation Institute. He's an accredited instructor for the American Chiropractic Rehabilitation Board and serves on the medical advisory board for a state's high school athletic association. And he's the only DC and the first ever DC to have ever done that. He's worked in large multidisciplinary orthopedic spine centers and currently is the owner and practicing chiropractic physician of Omaha Spine and Sport. So please enjoy this interview with Dr. Corey Campbell, DC. All right, welcome everybody to Forward, the podcast of the FTCA, that's the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance, and our guest today is Dr. Corey Campbell. Uh, are you the Vice President of Motion Palpation Institute? Wow, yeah, officially I am the uh, Vice President of Motion Palpation Institute. I think I read really that somewhere. Yeah, it's yeah, a big yeah, deal, it's, man. It, you know, it is. 
but it's not because Mark's never going to die. And it basically <laughs> just means that I get to do the things he doesn't really want to do. So it's a way for him to filter down the crap to the lower levels. And I'm the next level down. But so you get the, the MPI door. private jet. So <laughs> yeah, if we have one bit. of those. <laughs> yes. When we get one of those, I get to fly in that maybe. <clears throat> or maybe the, I have to learn how to pilot it. I don't know. It's, it depends on the, on the day. Fly, fly Mark around. You're right. Um, for those people who do live under a rock, and this is the chiropractic profession, so some people actually <laughs> might literally live under an actual rock, um, tell the folks who are listening what Motion Palpation Institute is. Give us, a, uh, give us an origin story and all that. What, what are you guys yeah. trying to accomplish and all that? Gosh, uh, so yeah, the Motion Palpation Institute has been around since uh, here in the United States since the early 80s. Dr. Fay brought it over. Um, from the Anglo-European Chiropractic College, and he was also part of um, CMCC for a while. He basically was—he grew up in a time of, you know, Gonstead heavy, very structural, very static, and he was starting to think a little bit differently about the functional model. Followed a guy about around by the name of Andre Gillet, who kind of showed him how to assess joints through motion, and brought it over here to the states at the time. Again, very controversial, very, a lot of resistance was met when he brought it over here and started the, the Motion Palpation Institute to bring the functional model to the United States, which was extremely static and extremely structural at the time, just because of the influences and the way that the world was back then. You know, and this would have been from you know, like 1960, 70 to the 80s when it was you know, starting to take off a little bit. And then the, um, the you know, just some of the, the the practice management stuff started to happen about that time too. So he's also facing some of that resistance. And so he brought it over to the States, started the motion palpation Institute to bring the functional model to the, to, um, to the United States. And it just started to grow. He wanted to change the paradigm, you know, away from the static model, which a lot of us knew, you know, he knew and a lot of the other forward thinkers at the time knew that it probably wasn't really the case that there was so much more that we needed to know. Um, and there was so much, so much more that we could do from an assessment standpoint in the joint system. Um, and it just kind of took off from there, went through some changes in leadership after Dr. Fay and Peterson started it. Um, and then Dr. Mark King took it over in uh, 2002, I believe, is when he actually took the, kind of took the leadership role in the Motion Palpation Institute and then brought Dr. Winchester and myself on. Um, after that, and then added the other instructors that we now have. So we've kind of been going, and it's kind of been growing ever since then. What what do people? I guess how would I say it? Somebody who is into motion palpation, uh, they're they're one of your customers, one of your fans, one of the participants. What do they experience? What do they go through? And and, and yeah. I don't want this to be like a commercial. You right. know what I'm saying? Like no, for sure. No. Like what are these I mean, young docs? What are they experiencing when they get into MPI? Well, hopefully they experience uh, a group of like-minded individuals that are also wanting to just like learn what chiropractic is really about and like how to actually assess the joint system, which is what you know the chiropractic profession was built on. I get it. It's built on the neuromusculoskeletal joint system but when we talk about it, like our joint the joint system is how we access those other things and how we affect the neurological system and those kinds of things so hopefully they're meeting like-minded people that are trying to learn out how to figure out what it is they're actually doing and that's what that's what you know MPI did for me when I first started school I was a medical technologist working in mostly oncology and hematology so I was you know, prepping uh, biopsies and staining them and looking for cancer cells. I went from a very black and white, you either have cancer or you don't have cancer type of situation to chiropractic school because I was tired of doing those kinds of things day in and day out, looking very monotonous work and kind of depressing. So I went to, to this, you know, trying to figure out if people had cancer or blood dyscrasias or those kinds of things to the chiropractic profession. And I was a little bit like, uh what did I get myself into? You go from a spinal anatomy class where they're talking about Sharpie fibers and the strongest fibers in the body to moving bones and freeing up these, this guy named Nate to run around your body and save your world and that kind of thing. And so when I got exposed to MPI, um, one of my, the, the current 
the guy that was the president of the MPI organization who started up from scratch basically um, said, hey, you should come to this class. This will, this maybe will help you. And so I asked my static palpation teacher if I should do that. He said, no, they're just going to talk <laughs> about science and stuff. And so I signed up right away for that class. And Science and um, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, science and stuff. And they're going to teach you bad habits. That was the other thing he said. They're going to teach you how to adjust and teach you a bunch of bad habits that you shouldn't learn right away. And so I, uh, I like I said, I signed up right away and kind of, they were actually talking, they were presenting research. You know, this was, so this would be, 1999 ish 1998 and so you know this is the research we had at the time this was pre-stu mcgill before he came out with his stuff this was pre-gray cook you know we were talking about andre gleaming hodges and hides they were just starting to kind of roll out um things like that and so we didn't have a ton of research at the time but this research we did have you know was that we were presenting that and so that is what drew me to it and the fact that they were actually taking the research and they were applying it to here's the clinical skill part of it and here's how we would workshop this and we would just you 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 basically get your hands on a bunch of people and they blend the science into it to the best of our knowledge and that's kind of how what Faye started it was a growth mindset he always wanted to ever evolve ever change as we learn new things we should we should change we should evolve as an institute and we have, we hope, you know, for the most part, we used to teach things when I first started teaching, we were teaching people how to do abdominal hollows. And we know that's wrong. I mean, that was pre uh, Stu McGill. And we know that that stuff is wrong now and we have better information. So we don't teach that anymore. And that's the, you know, that's the, the idea of what you get when you go to an MPI class is that, or an MPI club is that you get surrounded by a group of community of people that think like you do. And that hopefully now don't, we don't have a whole lot of, attitude or arrogance or ego we just want to learn and we just want to get really good with you know not only the evidence side of it but with our skill sections as well being a as craig liebenson would put a learn it all not a know-it-all yeah exactly this, yep. this profession is classic for resistance to change uh from a historical antidote right it's like yeah, it's like chiropractic at some point felt like they carved out a certain niche and they can get paid with that niche and they didn't want anyone to take it away from them. Yeah, I got my lollipop yeah. and I don't want anyone to take my lollipop. And you're like, but That's you can have right. an ice cream cone. I don't want an ice cream cone. I have my lollipop. Right. And now a lot of chiropractors don't want their lollipop either because they can't because the evidence doesn't support the lollipop. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> so, well, so it's not so now just, they don't know what they want. Yeah, it's not just the adjustment itself. It's like how it's applied. You know, evidence is a is a funny thing. So we get a hard you're getting a hard a hard uh, a hard case on palpation, right? So let's start with right. palpation. Let's Everyone's beating let's up palpation. Dive, let's right? dive into that right away. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. So here's here's the thing. The evidence would would generally state that palpation is not a reliable tool uh is it inter inter rater reliability or inter clinician reliability neither, neither one neither intra or intra rater reliable if you look at the research like if you just scan the research it would, it's neither inter or intra rater huh. reliable yeah here's the interesting mostly thing in, mostly who, who are they measuring <laughs> who who are they looking at We've asked that question for years, Bobby. We wish we knew. Like we we've never been asked to do that, and so we did a small, like non-published, uh, little group uh, study with Mark, Brett, and I up at Logan one time with uh, some go-getter MPI reps, and we basically just they blinded us to a bunch of different students, and we did our we did three different tests, um, like a posture test, our motion palpation assessment test, and some other things and um we were very reliable like we found the same things we marked the areas that we thought were the primary restrictions we even like i think we did primary secondary that kind of thing and we were very inter rater reliable like we all kind of agreed on the same thing so i don't know who they're using you know and what kind of training they've gotten and those kinds of things and that's what we're trying to change we're trying to systematize joint assessment the interesting thing is if you take a uh Stu McGill course, the uh, uh, low back assessment course primarily, he teaches palpation in the course, or the instructors will teach palpation in the course, but Stu will have a, an asterisk. He has a commentary about palpation in the course itself, and it sort of goes like this. 
and I'm going to paraphrase it and I'll probably kind of bastardize it a little bit, but I'll get close. <clears throat> Some people are really, really, really good at palpation. Some people are just average and some people suck. And in order for, and in order for something to be considered reliable, it has to be, uh, you know, like in, in order for the whole class to pass elementary school, you got to have the, the really, really dumb kids pass the class, right? Right, it's right. Like for, for things to be reliable, you need even the least of the doctors, the least of the clinicians available have to be, it has to be reliable for them. So what that cuts out of the picture is the people that are really, really talented at a certain thing. They don't right. get credit for the talent. So right. there, there can be people that walk this earth that are extremely perceptive and talented at palpation. Right. However, <laughs> that doesn't do the rest of all of the rest of them very much good because they're not good at it. So they'll never see it. They, they don't even know. They can't even feel what they can't even feel. They don't even know it's there. Right. 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 Just no, like, I agree. And that's, I think he got a lot of that from, cause he took courses with Carol Levitt, who was an yeah. amazing. And just yeah. by, and I got to take a class with him luckily before he passed away and was able to follow him around. And he was an absolute master of the joint muscle system from a palpation standpoint, even though he was a neurologist, by you know, by training. So you see this with the hands-on portions of our profession. So it takes a certain amount of skill. It takes practice. It takes dedication. And then the folks that aren't good at it tend to be like, well, that stuff's kind of worthless. So I'm just not going to do it. And then they shoot right. it down. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's say you just nailed it. I mean, that's just it. If, if it's hard, we want to kind of throw it away or discredit it in some way um, because it's, but it's kind of what makes us us. And so that's what the MPI classes are. Hopefully, you know, that's what we try to do. We try to make this, you know, we go region by region and we show you three or four different ways to assess a region from a joint palpation standpoint. And then we throw the other things, the functional assessments and those kinds of things on um, to help, you know, make it a little bit more palatable and easy so that you can kind of, by the end of the weekend, we hope that you're like, oh yeah, now I know what I don't know. It's like they can start to feel things and, you know, Gray Cook should get some credit for that is that he created redundancy into functional assessment. And that's what MPI is trying to do with our joint assessments. We want to try to create redundancy in a systematic way to assess joints. So the redundancy part is something and a systematic approach is something that we have to like evolve to, I think, as, a, as an institute. And that's what we're trying to do slowly but surely. It's just hard when you're dealing with full time practicing, you know, instructors and, and students and it's hard to it's hard to create that movement but that's what we're trying yeah it's a challenge everyone's pulled a thousand different ways gotta yeah. gotta feed the kids <laughs> we can give some credit to right, the, right. like the, there's an element of straight chiropractic the old school uh, static listing type of chiropractic that can get some credit i think and what i mean by that is uh, they might have been off in evidence. They might have been off in theory or philosophy. I don't. I don't know what what you would say. Everyone can agree that the old way is not as good as the new way, because that's the nature of all things. It's, everything progresses. But one thing that they did do is at least they had dedication to the craft and they practiced it. Right. Right. No. I, I, and they were. They were. Um, they were very certain. You know, as far as like you know, that's the other thing is that yes, they were dedicated to the craft. They were probably completely way off in their explanation explanation of what they were talking to but patients bought in because when they presented something they were certain about it and yeah. that is another part of practice that you know i hope the students get is that this is for me it's easy because i i'm pretty certain that i know at least what i know and if i don't know it i can tell them that i'm also certain in that but i don't him haw around about well maybe we should do this for a while or we should maybe try this after if this doesn't work in two visits. Like I'm, I'm not uncertain about how I'm going to treat a patient. Like I'm very certain about that. And I think the old straight chiropractors had that figured out too, because they knew for sure, like, you know what, I know how to adjust. And I, I know that I can get that message across to this person. I think that also holds, holds a lot of power. Like when you're certain and enthusiastic about what you do, you know, those two things in practice, I think they hold a lot of water and whether you're doing the right or wrong thing, you know, at least the patient feels like they're in the right place. And I think 
the new chiropractors also could take something from the guys that were probably doing things in the wrong the wrong way back in the past they take some of that from from some of those lessons that they were you know that they had you know they, they were very certain and they were very very dedicated to the craft um here's the thing i've heard from brett winchester a couple times and, and i want you to try to do your best to clarify it for me uh you you be mini brett here he often when he's speaking for a long time so yeah <laughs> i'll try my best and this might have even come from you and not him specifically or it's come from the top down but he often when he talks he talks about the best adjusters in the world but he'll he'll list people by name or he'll say if you want to be the best adjuster in the world or he might even go as far as saying like uh dr xyz is one of the top three adjusters in the world wow yeah he's good. He's, he's very good at hyperbole so, yeah. yeah. So that's what that is. Right. Because I'm like, where's the competition? Where do I sign up? Like, I've I don't been, know. <laughs> yeah. Cause I've, I've met been some guys that why am I not on the rankings? The, right. I've walked, I've met some guys that have walked off the street at a Parker experience. I, um, adjusted an older guy and I had my temporary license, so I'm not going to get sued for this for the weekend, but I just, an older guy, he was, he was in his eighties and I, he wanted me to adjust him. And so I adjusted him after a class or a talk I did of, one of the first Parker seminars when Dr. Morgan took over. And then I watched him adjust another older gentleman, probably in his sixties. And I was blown away at this guy's skill. Like I was just like, wow. I'm like, this guy's 80 and look at what this <laughs> guy's doing. Like I was shocked. So yeah, I, I mean, we live in, Brett sees more people than I do because he talks, you know, more places, but, um, Gosh, I don't know. I mean, there's some guys out there we've never even heard of that are amazing adjusters. So, right, and some of them are sitting in a classroom right now and they don't even know it. Right, and that's just it. That's why I tried to take a very humble approach to teaching because I know there's things that there's guys out there that have been practicing for 30 and 40 years. You know, Mark King, our president, he's been te he's been practicing for 30 some years plus the four or five years of school and all the classes he's taken. Like. I can't build 40 years of talent into my hands because I'm, I haven't been practicing that long. I've been practicing for 17 years. So he's got 13 years on me, my 14 years on me. I, I can't maybe in 14 years when he's, you know, maybe, maybe still alive. I don't know, but maybe slowing down a little bit, I can catch up to him. But there's a lot of that too. There's a lot of just, that's the hard part when I teach the students is I can't give you 17 years of experience in my hands. And that's just part of practice. Like if you want to be really, really great, like 17 years, you're starting to just be like, Oh yeah, man, I really could have done better two years ago with that. than I could, you know, this, like you learn things as you go. If you, if you have a growth mindset and you, you want to constantly learn, if you don't, then you, you regress and you get worse. That's true. Well, let's, let's rephrase the question a little bit, if we can. How about when you're looking at somebody in a course or a class or you're watching them apply their technique, because uh, usually it's, a, it's visual coaching, so it, you're not feeling what they do necessarily. They're not actually adjusting you. What things from the eye look like good adjustment? Good so, skill. What, what, what looks yeah. good? Brett and I have talked about this a lot. So can we teach, can, can we train talent into people? And there is some, some of that for sure, but there are people that just automatically like get it. Like they're just in athletic positions. They're in the right spot. Like they've got body awareness, those kinds of things. We think you don't have to be an athlete to be a great adjuster, but you have to have some sort of acumen of being able to get into athletic positions, to be able to generate force through speed and not mass. Like those are the things that we look at because we have an instructor who's very small that can adjust as, as good as, I mean, she's maybe a hundred pounds and she can adjust as good as any of us. And Mark's six foot seven, I'm five foot nine, Brett's, you know, taller than me. We have different body styles and types, but if you can be, if you can understand force generation and you can kind of just like, if you're coachable, like that's one thing I always look for. Can I coach you into the right position and at least get you to understand force generation from a speed standpoint? Can you relax your muscles? Can you contract your muscles and relax again, which Stu talks about that contract, relax, uh, uh, relax phenomenon. Like, can you do those things? Can you, 
can you understand what force generation is about versus you know trying to just use mass and and trying to like first of all let go of the matrix and the idea that you're moving bones and you're gapping joints through very small axes of rotation can you do that and understand just where your body position is and you can kind of see you can pick up throughout a weekend like people are going to pick it up quicker than others for the most part everybody can get it as long as you coach it in very fundamental ways where do you think we're at on the pendulum here? So the pendulum used to be swung towards the adjustments. The only thing in the world that matters, are we still there? No, I don't think so. <laughs> the no, pendulum, pendulum sort of has swung towards swung like it to the, yeah. doesn't matter at all. It's, it's swinging that way. Yeah, that's, that's, and that's crazy. Because, I mean, you look at the outcomes and manipulation in the outcome world is great. When you look at the research, right. you know, manipulation is amazing. And if you could take that and apply it to the right areas, uh, I was just reading, I don't think it was on the FTCA uh, Facebook page, but another one, somebody was asking about adjusting areas that didn't hurt. And I'm thinking, my God, like, is this really a question? Like, if you treated low back, 90% of low back pain patients to walk in your door, if you treated the thoracolumbar spine, the hips and the feet, you'd probably get, you'd probably get, you know, 80% of those people better. Like that's yeah. crazy. Not even touch the lumbar spine because it's typically hypermobile. So why mess with an area that hurts? It's just the end result of poor function above and below that area. And so joint function and shared motion is kind of the goal of the musculoskeletal system. And if you're really good at assessing those joint systems and, and how function works around that area that hurts, you're going to find that most of the time that end result is just a hypermobile segment that's chewing up motion that's not happening above and below the chain. And you, of course, would treat other other places where it hurts. That's why the pain provocation stuff just kind of drives me crazy because you're just taking all skill and all like brain power out of it. You're just pushing on areas that hurts and you're adjusting that. It just drives well, here's what I think, man. I think we don't we don't initiate into our profession thinkers. We might sometimes accidentally inherit a few and we, and we benefit from that. I think we just inherit a lot of people that don't really want to think all that much. They just right. want somebody to tell them how to do it. Yeah. <clears throat> and it doesn't work that way. Like life no. doesn't work that way. The profession doesn't work that way. Helping people doesn't work that way. Running a business doesn't work that way. Uh, but those, no. that's those are the people we get and it's sort of like um, and they gravitate towards those groups that say hey you don't have to think about yep this. all that, inclusive here we will show you how to do it you just pay us two uh, two thousand dollars a month and we will show you how to do it all here's all yep. the scripts my friend 30 percent of your collection is there for us and you'll be good we got you <laughs> <laughs> well yeah you're you're, you're not using 30 yeah. percent of your brain anyways so why not just pay that off to somebody else uh, so there, I almost have like, that's right. It's, you know what? Chiropractic philosophy is not a philosophy. There is, there is no chiropractic philosophy because nope. philosophy that for allows you to question. It allows you to change direction. It allows you to improve your, your thinking over time. There's been yeah. sort of this rhetoric, uh, you know, people will call it dogma too uh, over time, but I, I am a proponent of the idea of a philosophy for, because at least with a philosophy, we would have to think and discuss why we, we do what we do and the reasons behind it. And we would have to encourage people to bring evidence to the table. Then of course you would also have to teach people how to actually decipher and read the evidence so they don't bring nonsense to the table, but we just don't bring thinkers into this profession. We and, don't. Yeah. We need chiropractic stoics, right? Like Ryan Holiday. Like that's a philosophy, right? Like the old philosophers used to think and write and think and write and question yeah. and question and think and write and question. We don't, that chiropractic, it's not philosophy. It's just bad science. That's what. Oh, like, I mean, like managed care killed it too, because you, you don't have time to think. You got to get reimbursed. <laughs> right. Yeah. You got to get paid for this. Don't think. Just smash. It, it just smash, smash, smash over smash and over and again. Bill. And, and, uh, smash and bill. <laughs> and hopefully someone will help you out. Maybe the government will save you along the way. You can't oh, think yeah. yourself out of the box. Maybe the government will come and, and save you. And that's, right. that's kind of what we're dealing with. So these art, the art, the uh, philosophy, art, and science, right? Right. Philosophy's in trouble. 
<laughs> and it sure. always has been. It's always been on a little bit of a shaky ground. Let's be honest here. Right. The art has always been great because there are people who've been able to express themselves in their own clinical ways and their own practices and sometimes teach others and, and the context that goes with the art. I mean, if you study, if you understand the science of the biopsychosocial uh, approach to caring for people, having hands-on art, being artistic in the way you deliver this care is very important. And it's probably the thing that saved our ass for uh, almost a hundred years. And then oh, there's the sure. science. So now we're at the point where the art is kind of dying. Great. Oh yeah. It's because, uh, you know, it's easy to hang on to the science and then it's, you know, the, like you said, the other part is, you know, how can we get paid for this? And the managed care is kind of driven that and I, I get it. Like I, I I run a business on my own. Yeah, yeah. I, I have my own, and so I I get the business side of it. You you get you can get flooded in that, but you know it's it's funny because the guys that are, you know, it's the guys that have figured out how to use the science to their advantage to help patients understand why they should be there, and then have the skill art portion of that to be able to deliver that. Those are the ones that kind of just take off business wise anyway, you know, and, like, and you're not, you, and you do? don't mean, by the way, audience, he doesn't mean cherry picking to science. Like no, he means like using the actual interpretations and the actual. Yeah. Like if somebody comes in and they're, you know, they're, they're catastrophizing over a disc herniation MRI. Cause I worked at a, a place, an orthopedic spine surgery center for eight years. So it was orthopedic spine surgeons. There's eight of them. There's three PTs. It was truly multidisciplinary facility. And I saw, you know, the worst of the worst. I saw people catastrophizing that, you know, they've had these MRIs and they have all these horrible findings. And you have to actually use the research that says, hey, you're 40 years old. There's a good chance you're going to have a disc herniation, even if you didn't have pain. Like, you have to be able to use the science and the research to support the fact that you need to calm these people down, give conservative care a chance to work, and then use your skill and your art and your ability to assess and, and pick the appropriate treatment, whether it's soft tissue, whether it's rehab, whether it's manipulation, combination of those three, which it usually is, to, to help them avoid surgery. Because we know if you look at the surgical research, it's not good either. It's a rule of thirds. One third get better, one third get stay the same, one third get worse. And that's just kind of across the board. If, if you pick the right person, based on your assessment and your clinical skill, then, then people do well, depending on how you categorize. And so, yeah, to use the research to your advantage in that you have to sometimes use it to get people to be on board with conservative care. And that's where the research, I mean, that's where the power in the research is right now. Plus you have to meet people halfway too. Like you have to, they come in with certain beliefs or expectations and they might come in with the belief or the expectation that the, the passive modalities are going to help them. And you kind of got to bend that, you know, you got to kind of go that direction uh, just to sort of calm them down and then bring them back to what the evidence says, which is the active self-care phenomenon. Yep. For sure. A lot of young docs that are just, it's like dating, dude. Um, (laughs) Let's try to do it without being crude. Um, It's like dating. So you have somebody you're on a date with uh, and you might want to marry them and have children um you can't just go from first date to marriage and really expect a good result like push <laughs> on date one like you got to sort of there's got to be a relationship built and a there's a journey that you go on together i love and, that analogy That's and i great. think and there's also a, like a barroom crude way to put that too oh um, yeah for sure no i but a lot of these young docs are like walking into and they're like you know mary you need rehab on day one right. and mary does need rehab but she, she might does. need a little bridge built along the way. She does. She needs, and she came to a chiropractor and that would be like walking into, you know, she came to a chiropractor with a certain level of expectation to go along with that. And yeah. that'd be like walking into a Burger King and getting Taco Bell. Like, you know, yeah. like that's just, yeah, it's like when McDonald's sold pizza, that McDonald's sold pizza like in the eighties <laughs> and it didn't work. <laughs> and Starbucks tried to get into the breakfast bagels and stuff like it didn't work. You know, it just didn't work. So you, there is a certain level of expectation there too. And again, like it's, yeah, to use, you know, the, we have mountains of research that will support what we do clinically. And you can obviously cherry pick the research however you want to, but the long and short of it is the conservative care ultimately 
you know, and that's why insurance companies have gone the way they've gone. It's why the protocols are what they are now for insurance companies to get an MRI even is because conservative care has proven to, to be good, but sometimes you have to talk people off the ledge and sometimes research is the best way to do it. But there's other times when like your clinical assessment is going to hold way more weight. You know, I had a patient come in with neural tension signs all over the place. Nobody even asked her about some bowel and bladder things and she'd had those recently. And so like red flags everywhere. And I sent her out immediately for an MRI and she hadn't failed conservative care yet. But because of the way I did my assessment, we got it. She was in surgery the next day because she had she had, uh, you know, she had spondylolisthesis and canal compression and a catacolonis syndrome going on. So, like, sometimes you just have to, like, you have to trust your assessment. You have to not think other people that are referring people to you know more than you do. Like, you have to clinically, you have to continue to work to be good at it. And sometimes research isn't always going to support your clinical intuition, which, you know, you've got to go with, with what you feel is best. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's completely off the books. So guidelines will say one thing, but guidelines are guidelines and recommendations right. are recommendations. But sometimes something walks in the room and it just smells bad. Yeah. Not not yeah. literally, but figuratively, like something's just not right here. Right. And um, and then you, you you throw a lot of the books out the door at that point. Exactly. And you have to. And But you're, you're again, it goes back to that. You know, Mark King talks about being good with your assessment and doing being being thorough with your assessment and thorough doesn't mean taking an hour and a half for every patient that walks in the door but being thorough in that you have a system that's going to assess the neurological system musculoskeletal system check for red flags the biosocial social things that's efficient yet thorough so that you know how to how to categorize these patients and then how to present to them you know what you have to offer as a chiropractor which is some form of soft tissue manipulation rehab whatever conservative care option tools you have in your bag you know and hopefully you're really good at the joint assessment and the this the ability to deliver um you know manipulative care at a high level because that's what people are coming to you for and that's something that there's nobody nobody else in the world is good at except for us i just had an idea <clears throat> since you mentioned the uh the 40 year olds the, the comes in with the disc issue yeah and sort of like welcome to the club i think i'm just going to start making little like id cards like little mickey mouse club id cards <laughs> like, right. like, welcome like literally welcome to the club we are all card holding members of this club and you are now yeah. too yeah uh, and then on the back some some you know bust some myths on the back of the card like this welcome for, to the club this is what happens <laughs> yeah for sure no i agree and that's you know and that's and it, i'm glad you brought that up because i do think even like within the chiropractic profession because we you know the whole story brand thing you, you guys all know well most of the world doesn't know about the chiropractic profession but inside right. the chiropractic profession like the old docs that have taken mpi in the past they think they know what mpi is but they probably haven't been to a class in 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And, you know, we've changed, we've evolved, we've added functional classes, we've added stuff that brings these other things, DNS and some of the SFMA and Jason Holm is an MPI guy. He, he teaches for you guys. And like, we've brought in these people that are experts in other areas that have an MPI influence and know how this stuff all kind of integrates. And so, you know, like welcome to the club is right. Like you should come back to the club once in a while and see what's changed because you know, your dad's Legion club might be the same, but you know, these clubs that are supposed to be ever evolving and definitely change. So that's, that's a, another layer to that is that once you're in the club and you have this group of people, that's a community that will help you. We're not, you know, we're not rah, rah. We're not, we do cheer you on, but we also help you with the clinical side of it and the business side of it. And, we try to be we try to be positive mentors and that's what you know hopefully mpi is evolving towards you know not just being clinically the the palpation and just guys but also the, the help you with life and business guys too to some extent that's not our niche that's not what we want to do but we will help you with that and there's a lot of guys out there like the superstar jason holmes and and the rich Holmes and these guys that have had you know, MPI and Brett Winchester, these guys have had MPI influences that can help you in other areas too. I don't think we can think of any of these aspects anymore as uh, secluded. If no. It's the, the rehab part, the soft tissue part, the, neuro, the uh, neurodynamics part, the adjustment part, the assessment. 
I yeah. classify the assessment and the physical exam as two different things. Um, I think yeah. there's the cl there's the classic physical exam, and then there's your assessment system are two different mm -hmm. things. I mean, you can't you you have to you do have to compartmentalize them in the fact that you have to learn them sort of separately. But somebody eventually has got to bring them all together, like a like a big giant Voltron, like a chiropractic Voltron where all the pieces are put on and, and strapped on. And then it's one just big giant monster that dominates. <laughs> I love it. My son loves the transformers. So I would say, yeah, that, that I love transformers that. are cooler than Voltron. Yeah. The transformers Voltron, are way cooler yeah, than Voltron. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. Like, um, yes. And I think that's where we're at. We're in this weird, we are in a very interesting time right now because like you said, we have all these things that we can use, but we just haven't quite all come together in a way that people agree to, you know, like I think Dr. Morgan and Parker is trying to do it, but I think it's hard to do from a, at that level because of all the different things you have to go through accreditations and boosters and people that are pulling you this way and put it that way. Like, but we do have all these tools that if we could just, instead of circle the wagons and shoot inwards, if we could circle the wagons and like get everybody together and, and, and decide, you know, these are the five things that we should really kind of focus on. And if we can teach these five things to the people coming out, then we've kind of created this, this momentum of thought and clinical leaders that we can start to generate this. Like we should be, we should be the muscular neuromuscular skeletal, skeletal, uh, triage gatekeepers like we should be the people that people think of first when they have some sort of muscle pain neck pain back pain neurological issues like we should be the gatekeepers for those and then we should be the ones to decide where they go from there just because we have so many tools to, at our disposal we're so much better at the assessment than everybody else is yeah there's a lot to unpack there i mean there uh, you're i'm sure you're aware of the flexner report the carnegie foundation sponsored uh uh I think it was published as a book and it, it's the, it's the thing that was responsible for, for reforming medical education in America. And at some point chiropractic in the 60s, it might've been the fifties, but I'm pretty sure it was fifties, sixties tried to do the same thing. They hired this guy, uh, Cyrus Lerner, and they wanted him to go through the chiropractic history and all the legal battles and the evidence and the research and talk to the leaders and then say, how can we make a new case for the public uh, for chiropractic? And uh, Lerner was an attorney. And so he, he was taking this on like uh, he was defending a, a defendant in a trial, right? Mm -hmm. And he goes through all the stuff and he comes around and he's like, well, in, over, in, order to, in order to make a new case in court, you either have to have new evidence and a new jury or some sort <laughs> of new motive. And the jury is already out, right? So most right. people have already, I mean, all you got to do is listen to uh, uh, Joe Rogan. We, we, maybe we can get into yeah. this Joe Rogan podcast thing in a bit because I've never actually talked about it. Right. Uh, but, or you need new evidence. And we do have new evidence, but we, won't, we, we haven't taken it to trial appropriately yet with the, with the public. And, and I think it's mostly, it's like an OJ thing. Everyone's sort of made up their mind on OJ already. And everyone's <laughs> right. made up their mind on chiropractic. And some people will still sort of be like, well, OJ's, you know, he's all right. He just, he really did something really, really horrible. You know, everyone's got their, right. their opinion. So Lerner yeah. was like, when he was writing this report, he said, but there is a secret to chiropractic, and I'm going to tell you the secret at the end of the report. You sly dog, holding on that secret till the end of your report, but I'll read the whole report anyways, damn it. At the end of his report, he's like, okay, so this is after I've investigated the chiropractic profession. Here is the secret to chiropractic. And the, the, the early leaders, the Palmers, and, and all these other early big dogs in the profession, they knew this secret from the beginning, and they've been playing this secret on everybody else the whole time. The secret is you can make $5 treating a patient or you can make $500 teaching somebody else how to treat patients. And he's like, that's it. That's the secret of chiropractic. So we've got a choice here. Everyone is still trying to make their $500 teaching others how to treat uh, patients. Right. But at some point, the, the feeding the, the tank that you feed out of the, the students and the young doctors, the well starts to run dry and you have to make a decision. Are you going to still try to get your $500 that way? Or are we going to come together and figure out a way 
to make all of these young doctors and these students successful, uh, yeah. clinically efficient, uh, financially successful, politically uh, motivated uh, with some political power to make decisions and make changes in their community. Uh, at some point, someone's got to make that decision. And that's where that, that uh, Transformers or Voltron comes together because then someone will say, sure. we've got a system to make these guys powerful. Yeah. And that's what has to happen. And that's I was, where um, I think we're all pulling for, you know? I was, uh, our 4-H in our county needed a, a board of directors. And if people don't know what 4-H is, it's a, it's a youth group. Uh, it's usually agriculturally based and it's like heart, health, hands. Wait, heart, head, hands, and healthy living are the 4-H's. Heart, head, hands, healthy living. And I was going to be the board member who took care of the healthy living part. You know, to make sure that kids, it, it's a public health exactly. endeavor. Yeah, make yeah. sure that their, their tobacco cessation yeah. and they're getting exercise and all this other stuff. And this county, the community was extremely concerned that a chiropractor was going to have that job. <laughs> that I right. might go in there and I might talk chiropractic with people. And then, yeah, and spread and your didn't know we had the same mission. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, and it took a lot of bridge crossing. I don't want anyone else who like a young doctor who graduates, they go into a community and they want to serve because this is about serving. I don't want them to have those same sort of barriers where they want to do something as uh, benevolent or, or innocent as helping young people understand how to be healthy and live a healthy life, get sort of a, uh, exposed to bigotry or some sort of yeah. um, no, hatred sure. because they are a chiropractor. Right. And we should all be, and that's, I mean, that's what we're doing right now. I think we're breaking down some barriers. You know? I was raised on a farm and ranch in Western Nebraska. So I was part of 4-H for my, you know, most of my young life. And, you know, to, to think that, you know, to be part of that is a good thing, but to also think that a chiropractor would be looked down on because, you know, he might possibly say something that would be, you know, chiropractic, <laughs> yeah. chiropractic that would be a bad thing. And like I'm on our NSAA, which is Nebraska, school athletic association statewide board i'm on their medical advisory board and i was the first chiropractor to be on that um and it took you know years of just showing everybody that it's not you know that you can you know slowly breaking down barriers working at a place like the nebraska spine center and and teaching to other non even non chiropractic professions and stuff to, to be able to even just break into something as local as like a state medical advisory board for, yeah. for college, for high school athletes. And so like it, it's, we have to slowly break these, these barriers down. And unfortunately, if we don't have thinkers and thought leaders and people that are going to continue to, you know, kind of push the, kind of push the skill to art and the evidence integration part of our profession. Like it's, it's going to be hard for us to break those barriers down and keep breaking those barriers down. And unfortunately that's going to hurt our, our new students, our new grads. Yeah. And they've got to be successful because you've got to be successful enough that that gives you clout. Yeah. You got to have money to, you, uh, to be free time. Yeah. It gives you the free time to do those things because you're successful enough to hire other doctors and run a system right. instead of working at a, a job that you're paying for instead of getting yeah. paid for. Um, and this brings me back to Joe Rogan because no one's ever talked about Joe Rogan and every, all right. So <laughs> Joe Rogan has his damn podcast and you, you, I've you're a victim to, to this because you didn't know we were talking about Joe Rogan, but I just saw I somebody okay. on the Facebook thing, uh, uh, talking about Joe Rogan and everyone still thinks in this profession, if we just had a chiropractor on the Joe Rogan podcast to explain what we're going through, that everything would be fine in the world of, of Joe Rogan. And that's not how this shit works. All right. <laughs> not with Joe Rogan. No. 66 million people will listen to his podcast in a month. There are only yeah. through in the world. There are only a hundred thousand of us chiropractors. And the only people who <laughs> care about chiropractic are chiropractors. All right. Other right. Right. Other, right. Other people benefit in some sort of way and, and patients love their chiropractor and your mom loves you as a chiropractor and all that stuff. But that's not 66 million people. So no, no. One, one fault is that Joe Rogan um, is extremely influential and I'm sure he knows that, um, but it's not as apparent. Like he's not walking around like uh, damn uh, Dan Rather or something, you know, he's not, right. he's not wearing that influence, but he's got to know at this point that he's 
extremely influential and he's making like a hundred dollars, a hundred million dollars a year doing this and all that. So there's power and influence and all that. Yeah. Second of all, um, his story is based on the fact that somebody failed him. That's why he's talking about this. Okay. Yep. So yes, he's going to take the whole chiropractic ship down with him. But what really right. happened was he had a bad experience with a chiropractor. That's nobody else's fault except for the chiropractor. For that guy. The guy, you know. Or person. Or gal. Right. Or whatever. <laughs> right. you know? Whoever right. it was. I don't know who it was. Um, so, so then, you know, he doesn't know all the facts. That's okay. He's mm -hmm. interested in the wild story of our origins. Everyone's got a wild origin story of how their profession started. But ours is really wild. <laughs> right. And we can't deny that. Um, but also, uh, we, we all can also admit that the facts are off. You know, and Joe Rogan had somebody on his show that he found somebody who jumped all over this opportunity to shit on chiropractic because that, that exact person loves to shit on chiropractic. Mm -hmm. uh, she is like the expert of doing that. And it was a perfect storm for them to hit the thing. You got to let it go, people. We're not, there's not going to be some sort of savior chiropractic guest on the Joe Rogan podcast to give all the facts because we already know facts don't sell anything. Emotions no. do. Yep. And, uh, and his emotions of his poor experience are going to win over your facts any single day. And Especially second with of 66 all, 66 million people following <laughs> his, his emotions. Or third of all, I don't know which of all this is. Any, everyone says that'll be a, you know, if you had Joe, Dr. Joe Smith on there, if you had Dr. Jenna Johnson on there, it'd be a great episode. No, it wouldn't. It would be boring as hell. Yeah. Nobody, you guys are listening to a chiropractic podcast right now because you are interested in it. And you know what? There aren't 66 million of you listening to this. <laughs> right. I know that for a fact, but no one right. cares about you as a chiropractor. They don't care about you. It's not about you. This is the story brand idea, right? You are not the star yeah. of the show. You are just uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're a guide. You're a guide in people's lives. Your chiropractor should be hiding in the shadows who and showing up when in time of need like right. batman but batman still right. isn't even the star of the show uh so so don't think of yourself as something important think of yourself as a a needed commodity in the community and be good at what you do and yeah, be really good be be really, really be so good they can't say anything about you that's right. Steve Martin's favorite, my, one of my favorite quotes is, is be so good they can't ignore you. And, and they look to you to, you know, and, and be that servant leader. Like that's your goal is to be so good clinically that you can help a lot of people. And then if you start to combine the other things that go into practice, being able to communicate, have some compassion and truly just care about making your com community a little bit better, yeah. you know, then you're a force to be reckoned with. And it doesn't matter what Joe Rogan says about you. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter what he says anyways. But <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, each of you who've been gifted because through hard work, hopefully you worked hard. Um, I'm convinced definitely that there are some, like I said before, there, there are definitely people matriculating through our programs that aren't working hard. Um, but if you're working hard and you've been gifted the license to practice and you've inserted yourself into a community, uh, you are unique. You are a unicorn. You're a special person. Yep. And uh, you're not, you might be, I, I usually say things like, I'm, I'm, you know, chiropractic was the vehicle that allowed me to care for people. And yes, I'm a chiropractor, but I don't really think of myself as that, that much. It's the way I have to define myself. It's how it's the box I'm put into, but it was really yeah. just the vehicle that allowed me to care for people in a conservative, holistic way in my community. Uh, and do the best I can for them with what I've got, which are my hands and my brain. Right. 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 And, and then to, you know, and to be able, yeah. And then to be able to branch out and start to even help, you know, hopefully future generations, which is yeah. a big thing. You know, there's always a higher purpose, you know, that's what we say, you know, like to summarize what MPI tries to do is, yeah, we want to make you the best palpators and gestures in the world, but we want you to do the, the right thing for the right reasons at a higher level for a higher purpose and if you can just kind of like keep that little summary rolling through your head then you know not only serving your patients at the highest level it eventually leads to open other doors you know to to do things even better in your community and maybe even in your profession like what you've done and so 
it's a great vehicle. It's a, it's a way to get to, to a lot of people and to do a lot of good and hopefully, you know, leave this profession in a little better spot than where you found it. Let's end the podcast like this. Three, three pieces of advice to being a great adjuster and palpator, a great uh, technician, clinician, musician, all the ins with your hands. Right. Let's go three with number ways. one. Yeah, three of them. Number one is to first seek out people that know more than you and let them be mentors to you and learn from them. Two would be to practice it with a sort of, I'm going to show you, you're damn right, I can be better. Tell me I can't do this, I'll show you wrong kind of attitude. Like, you need to practice it like that. Like, you know, like the, 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 I coach wrestling for the little kids. Like there's certain kids that just like, they just, they can't get enough practice. Like you have yeah. to have that kind of drive. Like you have to love the grind and the grit of what it takes to make you great. You can't just go from, from learning something from somebody to great in a, in a year or two years or three years. Like you have to enjoy the grind part. And so that's number two is you have to one, learn the right way to do it. Two, have the grit and the grind kind of attitude to be able to grind it out. And three, constantly learn. Like you, you can never stop learning. Like you have to have that growth mindset. If you don't have a growth mindset and you think you know it all, and then you think you're going to branch out and start your own thing and teach everybody what you know, I think yeah. you've lost it. <clears throat> I think That's you've what, lost yeah. it. There's a lot of people doing that. I think uh, number one, finding a mentor is huge. And I agree with you. And it's something, it goes along that line of uh, the, the people who come into our profession who aren't thinking, who aren't philosophizing. Um, there's a certain humility that comes along with saying, I don't know everything and I need help. Right. And some people just are not brave enough to do it. It takes bravery to say, oh, oh yeah, can you help me? They would rather, uh, they'd rather uh, retreat to an island and not let anyone know that they're failing. Oh, yeah. A lot of that. Tremendously, tremendously powerful advice. Number two, grit. Um, sad, sore subject, but uh, Kobe Bryant just recently passed away. And I, I just feel like when you say the way you say what you're saying is you've got to uh, gotta come to practice the way Kobe Bryant would. Yeah. Um, any legendary stories about that guy he would out practice uh, you he'd stay in the gym just longer than you just because he yeah. he wanted to show you he practiced longer than you yeah it was never ever 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 good enough and uh and there's like a competitive to to it and that's why i get with the with the winchester thing with uh, uh this competition list of who the best adjusters are right you almost kind of got to feel like that it, it's a friendly competition but mm -hmm. but no one's gonna out um out move me. No one's gonna out adjust. No one's gonna out love my patients. No one's gonna yeah. out. You gotta have yeah. that kind of grit. I mean, you gotta this sit is a little wrong in your rib cage. You know, it's like <laughs> that little tiny constant aggravation that man. There's no way Brett Winchester can do that, and I can't do that. That's not yeah. gonna happen next time I see him. Like you know, you you've got to have a little bit of that. Ooh, I can't let him beat me at that. You know, you gotta have that kind of just that drive. You have to have that. And this is a profession and you're a professional and you've got to act like you're wearing a Jersey and, uh, and you're on a team and people yep. are watching and the, the better yeah. you are, the more, the, the more crowd you're going to get watching what you're doing. And then number three, never stop learning. Um, can't, can't express it enough. People in this profession are always looking for a short, quick answer to things. Not everybody, but you know, the ones that we're poking, poking at here always looking for that quick answer. Just tell me how to get it done. How do I, it, and that's not how life works. How is it? And there's no, like you said, you know, it, you do have to have that Jersey attitude and that, that little bit of competitive fire, but there's no scoreboard in the treatment room. And yeah. at the end of the day, you know, you, people are going to look competition back with yourself. Yeah, you're yeah. competing with yourself. And at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, you know, how you kind of approach your days, you know, some grace, a little bit of gratitude and just some humility and, and the fact that you just, you did the best you could with the people that were in front of you. And, you know, the scoreboard was inside of you, not, not in the treatment room. There's no scoreboard in there. And so you're competing against yourself. You're not really competing against anybody else. And if you do that, 
with a little bit of humility, a little bit of grace and a lot of gratitude, you know, I think it takes you a lot of way. Yeah. I was about to ask you for a bonus. Like what my, my question was going to be like as a bonus, what, what actually matters, what really matters like perspective wise, but I think you just answered it. Humility, grace, gratitude. You beat me to the punch, Corey Campbell. Sorry about that, man. (laughs) Uh, We got warmed up. Things started flowing. We did. Uh, We'll probably have to uh, do this again since we're now warm. I will. Anytime you want to, I'd be more, more than, more than happy to do it. This was great. Uh, um, I'm going to talk to you off the air about motion palpation Institute and forward to 2020. That's going to be happening at Palmer West. Do you have a motion palpation club at Palmer West? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to talk about that. See if we can get you out to the big show. Uh, that's going on this summer. Perfect. And um, thank you for all you do. And if anyone needs to know more about MPI and where to go and, uh, um, you know, students have clubs on campuses and they're a little closer to the ground with this stuff, but yeah. tell me about docs, the doctors who need to return back into the fray and learn some stuff because I've, I've been to, I've seen your courses and I know that it's mostly sort of student and young doc driven, but what about the tenure in practice folks and those guys? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, go to the Motion Palpation website. We've got courses all over the place. We're in the UK, we're in uh, Canada, and we're, we're doing some, you know, doing courses all over. And it's we've got some new classes out there that docs, <clears throat> I think, can always learn something from where we integrate the functional assessments and some of the soft tissue and some of the more integrative treatment. We've got those classes out there. We've got sports symposium classes where we break up into workshops and we do movement assessments and we do dns based rehab and we do soft tissue and like it's it's not your grandfather's mpi anymore so go to the website we have a facebook page and i'm going to do some more stuff on youtube this year and and you got a facebook page you guys are in the modern era we do we have a facebook page we got like three thousand followers so it's nothing like nothing like the ftca or anything cool like that but those are good but uh but yeah, we, so we're out there and we're going to increase our digital footprint this year. So that's kind of our goal. And so we'll get some more content out there to help people hopefully start to, you know, find us a little more and hopefully come to our classes because that's where the, that's where I think things seem to make the most sense for practicing docs is that, you know, our classes, we really just, we want to pack them full of content. We don't want to, there's no fluff in our classes. We have like an hour and a half intro and the rest is hands on and we're just, we answer questions. We go off on tangents. We we workshop things that maybe weren't initially in the class based off of a question. And it's just it's a, we just try to learn and try to get stuff that you can use and practice in you know um, in your own practice and make yourself a little more marketable, a little more clinically effective, and and just do better for your people. Serve a little higher level. Doctor, you're a consummate professional. I'm sorry that I cussed on your podcast. I just get excited. I love it. Um, I'm just an old farm boy from Western Nebraska. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah right. Before 8 a.m. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and I'll talk to you soon. I appreciate you being on the show. And um, yeah. I think Instagram, I think you guys could kill Instagram. Let's see motion I think, I think I think that's an area we need to, we need to explore, yeah. As Let's long talk as it's off not, the like the, not like the selfie, you know, like the Instagram, like fitness pictures though we can't do that because none of us are that cool no 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 we get video people seeing things in motion 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 it's called motion palpation institute so it's got to have some motion to it instagram motion palpation perfect all right boss thank you very much and uh, thank you everybody listening i hope you had a great uh time listening to this podcast and check out mpi follow them on facebook and all that stuff and i'll talk to you next time perfect 